Anything Ghost, number 300, the 17th anniversary of Anything Ghost. Welcome to Anything Ghost. My name is Lex Wall. Anything Ghost has been around since 2006, and this being January marks the 17th anniversary of Anything Ghost. Been sharing a lot of true ghost stories from listeners like you. If you want to share a story, send it to Lex at anythingghost.com or go to the website and fill out the form and send it to me that way. So without further ado, let's get into Anything Ghost show number 300. We're going to get things rolling with two stories from Leto in Mexico. And the first story is called Mrs. Ortiz. Hello, Anything Ghost listeners. My name is Beto. I'm from Mexico. And this is one of my stories. As you probably know, people in Mexico eat a lot of to- tortillas. And the places where we make them are called tortillerias. When I was 17 years old, I was working in one of those. The owner was renting a house for the tortilleria. This house belonged to his aunt, to an aunt of his. uh, But the business was going very well, so he bought the house next door and he decided to build a bigger tortilleria there. When the construction was finished, he opened a hole in the wall about waist high that connected the two places and we used the new place as a storage room for the first three months before the opening. One day, almost at the end of the of the day, I noticed out of the corner of my eye somebody walking inside the new tortilleria. When I turned to see My first thought was that it was Mrs. Ortiz. Now, we didn't like this woman very much. It was the owner's aunt. And we didn't like her because she will come at the worst times to get her tortillas. And because she's family, we had to give her the tortillas for free anytime she wanted. Also, the customers will hate her because they had to wait in line while she didn't. She will come, enter the new tortilleria, and then get her tortillas uh, from us in there. So the first time I thought I saw her, I went to see, but everything was dark in the new tortilleria, and the front door was locked. The very next day, I noticed when one of my co-workers suddenly turns to the left, and he says, Oh, Mrs. Ortiz is here. So I said, oh, you saw it. And he said, yeah, I saw the legs because only from the waist down, the legs in a long skirt. So the next day after that, 
we were waiting. We thought at the beginning, we thought it was somebody trying to steal things from the new tortilleria or that it was her. But in any case, every time we saw something passing, we will go running sometimes, but we'll never find anything. The place was always dark and empty. One day, we said, okay, the next time we see this person passing, we are going to go running and, and try to find who it is. But after five or six days of, of doing this, one day it stopped. We were waiting and waiting and we never saw uh, anybody passing inside the new tortilleria. At the end of the shift, the, normally the, the, the place closed at about 2 or 3 p.m. But this time we were waiting and waiting. We didn't have cell phones in those days. And the owner arrived very, very late. And he said that his aunt had died in the hospital. She had had a stroke about a week before. And she had been in a coma in the hospital for about a week before she finally passed on. I don't know what to think of that. I would say it was the ghost of Mrs. Ortiz that we saw. But why would she go? Why would she appear in the new tortilleria? She owned the house of the old one, but she never appeared there, or we never saw anything in the old one. So it was only the new one. Or maybe it was just a big coincidence. But the new tortilleria didn't have windows. It only had a big gate at the entrance uh, and another big gate in the back for loading all the materials for the tortillas. So there was no way, in my opinion, how the light could project a shadow that looked exactly like somebody walking in a long skirt. So that's my story. Thanks everybody who has participated. I love the stories. I always wait for every month to get another hit of these stories. Thank you so much. Bye. And the second story we have is also from Leto in Mexico, and it's called The Pond. And once again, he'll tell the story himself. Hello, Lex. My name is Beto, and I'm from Mexico. This story happened to me when I was... 10 or 11 years old. One of my best friends live across the street. His name is Benjamin. He and I will play together almost every day. And from time to time, uh, Benjamin had a cousin who lived about two blocks down. From time to time, we will go and visit him and play in his house. I love going to Mario's house, that's his name, because they had a pond with live fish in it and the pond was small but to me at that age it was the greatest thing so i really enjoy going and play to play with mario and, and benjamin in that house but we didn't go there that often one night i had a dream that i was outside mario's house and when i recognized it i entered but i didn't see the pond 
instead there was a cement deck and the the garden which was very big now it was a little very little so i entered the house looking for mario and i started calling his name first i entered to the living room and next to the living room there is a, a dining room and i see these two people i didn't recognize them it was a man and a woman they were having dinner so i asked them where is mario and what happened to the pond but they didn't respond so i felt a little frustrated because no pond mario no answers and i decided to leave as i was leaving i noticed to my left there is this portrait next to the door and when i see in the portrait i see a picture of what i thought was me at the time like i said i was about 10 or 11 years old but the person in the picture looked to be in his late teens maybe early 20s and in the dream i said oh this is how i'm gonna look when i am that age and it was the person looked very much like me except the hair i have my hair is straight and the guy in the picture had curly hair but anyway that was the dream about 10 years later i was still living in the house and i work in a hotel in the morning i took the bus one day and uh, across this the avenue i saw the person in the dream for a moment i look at him and i say yeah that's the guy the same hair the same complexion everything but the bus started moving so i didn't see him anymore about a week later as i was leaving the gate uh, the front gate of the house the same person passed in front and this time it was like three yards away so i could see him uh, better and again i was sure it was the same person the next day i made a plan i got up earlier and this time i went down the street and i waited outside uh, mario's house or what used to be mario's house and sure enough 15 minutes later this person comes out of the of the house and starts walking by this time 10 years later mario's family had moved out and somebody else had come to live and of course the pond doesn't exist anymore but what I, what strikes me weird is that we look very similar the same height the same build the same complexion only the difference was the hair if you had seen us side by side you would have assumed we were family or related i don't know so that's my story i hope you can use it thank you very much for this platform i love to hear all the stories thank you and see you next time and this story comes to us from chauncey in Idaho. North Idaho Haunting, Part 1. A few years back, I sent a story about some happenings at a house I rented in North Idaho. For some reason, it's been on my mind lately, and I decided to finally take the time to send the rest of the story. 
even now looking back on it, it almost seems like a different life. My life now in no way revolves around ghosts or spirits. Now I'm a family man with three kids and have never had another experience with anything unexplainable. I apologize in advance. This may be long-winded, but I don't want to spare any detail. It was about 2009, and I was renting an older ranch-style house. I believe it was built in 1957, if I'm remembering correctly. For the rental market at the time, it was a good deal. six fifty a month, two beds upstairs, two downstairs, and half of the basement was utility, and also had an attached garage. I do remember having a passing feeling when I first looked at the house, that it just had such a bland, characterless, almost downtrodden, but in a visible way, feel, if that makes sense. When I moved in, it was with a girlfriend that I had for a few years, but we soon split up. In the first story I sent, I explained the sounds of steps coming up from the basement into the kitchen and down the hall. Well, that's just the tip of it. I ended up keeping the lease on the place myself. Just me and my dog, Chuck. I was in a band for many years, and after the band was over, I got into recording music on my own. So, in the bigger basement, I built a studio for myself. It had an enclosed, soundproof vocal booth, keyboards, drums, all the stuff. I spent a lot of time down there on my own, and I mean every day after work, until the wee hours of the morning. I was playing and recording music, but countless times, I swear, I saw someone out of the corner of my eye standing behind the drum set wearing a red sweatshirt. Yet the second I'd look over, he was completely gone. The feeling of someone being there or standing behind me was a constant, and an experience with hearing the steps was always close in the back of my mind. The utility room was dark and dingy, and in no way a place you would want to hang out, and of course the staircase went directly into it. So there were many times when it was like 2 a.m., and I'd get a creepy feeling of someone running up the stairs behind me, but I would always chalk it up to just being a creepy basement. Fast forward a few months. I started dating a new girl. I knew her briefly from years prior, she was friends of friends from back in my band days, so we hit it off well, and many hours she'd be there in the basement with me, helping record, edit, and all that, and her presence in the house is what I believe really woke it up. Knowing her history, what happened with her and I, and what seemed to follow and leave me alone after we eventually split, is what makes me feel like she was the catalyst. A few months into dating her, she was doing some modeling as a side gig, some artsy stuff for a local fitness center. So naturally, I put one of her modeling pictures as my background on my studio computer. This computer was an old desktop, kind of Frankenstein together by my brother, who was also in my band and is a computer whiz. So he built me some basic built-for-studio recording computer. I turned off the screensaver because if I was ever recording a long piece or didn't have the last track and the screensaver came on, I learned from experience 
that it shut off the recording and deleted the last track. So I would just turn the screen off every time I wasn't using the computer. This is the moment that it really hit me that something was really wrong there. Even writing this is making my eyes water and my skin crawl. It was early morning. I don't remember the day, but it was either Friday or the weekend because those were my days off. I woke up slowly to a repeating sound where it takes you a minute to realize what you are hearing. If you're old enough, you can remember the distinct sound of a desktop PC startup tune. I was sitting up in bed, hearing that noise that was loud enough to vibrate upstairs. And of course, I had pretty nice studio monitor speakers, and they could get real loud. By the sounds of it, they were at max volume. I looked outside in the driveway, no other cars, just my Jeep. I really wasn't sure what to do, and it took me a moment to move. I slid my hunting rifle from its case under my bed and slowly made my way from my room into the hallway. I went through the kitchen and stood at the door to the basement. Meanwhile, this whole time, that PC startup sound was on instant repeat. And I mean instant. Not like you turned on and off your computer and there's a 30 second gap, but just constant noise. I finally built up the courage, grabbed, and slowly turned the handle. The exact moment my hand touched the handle, the sound stopped. Absolute dead silence. My heart sank, and I thought for sure I was about to be in a fight for survival. I wasn't thinking ghost at that time. I was thinking intruder. Instead of slowly sneaking downstairs like I was planning on doing, I racked the rifle, yelled profanities and threats at the intruder, and ran downstairs ready to put the beat down. I rushed every room, closet, and corner. There was no one there. As I was standing in the basement, outside the two rooms in complete confusion, I noticed something. My computer screen was on black. The words were red. It said, You in block 3D spinning lettering. In completed puzzlement, I went over and moved the mouse. Where there was, the night before, a modeling pic of my girlfriend, there was now a dark, solid red background. Her nickname was Red. I sat there in, I guess, confused shock. I lived alone then. The computer had a passcode and my dog at my side would have heard anything. But even knowing that, I texted everyone I knew, Hey man, did you stop by last night for some reason? And of course, they all said no. I just said, oh, some stuff moved around, no big deal, wondered if it was you. Obviously, I didn't want to sound insane and explain it all. I didn't even tell Red what had happened. Well, not until after the second and most unbelievable part happened. I don't really remember how I managed to move on from that experience. Red eventually moved in, maybe three months after that experience. She constantly said she heard things, saw things, and even described waking nightmares a few times. I too noticed small things a lot more after her moving in. Kitchen cabinet doors constantly open, 
creaks down the halls, moving shadows under doors. But it really came to a climax one night in the studio. The way I had the studio set up was my back to the door while at my computer. And in the same chair, I could turn right and use the double keyboard and then be facing the vocal booth and the drums that were a little more to the right. So if anyone was down there with me, they'd be sitting just behind me on the right, just barely in peripheral view. We were both sitting there while I was pecking away at the screen cutting, moving and playing all the tracks. When out of the corner of my eye, I saw her jerk slightly. And while I was kind of looking down behind me, I saw her face look to my face with a confused look. And in that moment of being almost fully turned to look at her, she was thrown backwards and slammed into the closed door behind us and slid down into a slumped pile. This was a full-backed, four-legged dining chair. It was as if there was an invisible rope wrapped around her stomach because she flew back, legs in the air and arms forward, just like in the movies. She had a fearful, confused look on her face that slowly turned into tearful screams and lurching back from me, as if she thought I had somehow thrown her. We were both in unbelievable panic and confusion. I picked her up from the floor, and we ran upstairs. For some reason, I have a complete lack of memory of the moments or days after that. I have no idea if we sat upstairs or if we got in the car and drove around. I can't remember anything that happened. I realize that it may sound like a screenplay from a horror movie, and to be honest, even if a close friend had told me that story, I'd probably not fully believe them. It's a wild ride to sit here and to think back on that time. It truly seems like lifetimes ago. I do have a third part, but not as wild, but finishes the story out. I won't wait too long this time. Best regards and take care. Chauncey. If you enjoy true ghost stories like Chauncey just sent us, then you should take a look at the Anything Ghost VIP archive. It's the complete collection of Anything Ghost, available at your fingertips. To join, there's a one-time membership fee, and you'll become a member, and you can enjoy every story of Anything Ghost. So take a look at anythingghost.com, join VIP. Anythingghost.com, join VIP. And the next story is from Victoria in Atlanta, Georgia. My lovely mother-in-law and our first apartment. Hi Lex, thanks for the podcast. I look forward to it every month. I've been listening for about two years now and I thought I'd share. I've never really felt like I had any sort of experience with the paranormal or the afterlife until I met my husband. He has even told me that he has felt and seen things that are unexplainable. The first story is about my mother-in-law who unfortunately passed away in 2018. That year, my soon-to-be husband and I were moving in together and talking about getting an apartment. But unfortunately, this was around the time when his mom was sick and needed to be in hospice. I told him that he should continue to live at home with her and enjoy the remaining time he had with her. His parents were both very welcoming, and I actually moved in too while all of this was going on. We lived in the basement apartment, 
and we could hear every step and every movement upstairs. A couple of months later, she passed away in bed with her family surrounding her. My father-in-law decided to cremate her and received her ashes on a Friday, but the funeral home told us that her spot would not be available until that Monday. There was no choice but to keep her urn upstairs until then. Growing up, my parents told us that although some people choose to keep their loved ones at home, we shouldn't do this. We believed that it was a way of not letting go and therefore their spirit would linger nearby. My husband's family actually thought the same and said it would be fine and Monday was only a couple of days away. That Saturday, I was the only one home. Everyone was gone and again, I could hear any noise upstairs. It was about midday and I was cleaning downstairs when I heard footsteps upstairs and I stopped. I knew those sounded exactly like my mother-in-law's steps. I wasn't scared, but it did catch me off guard. She was a beautiful person, and I felt like she was just walking around her home like those other Saturday mornings, cleaning and listening to music one last time before leaving. Monday came, we had her service, and I never heard anything after that but I'm sure it was her. The second experience was once we were moved out sometime later. We had been living in an apartment for over a year then. I didn't tell my husband this until we moved out because I knew he would feel uncomfortable. But I always felt something watching me in the living room area. I closed the patio blinds thinking maybe that contributed to it, but that wasn't it. Every time I sat down to watch TV in the living room or started to fall asleep on the couch, I felt like something was watching. It never felt menacing or malicious, but it was just an odd feeling. I would usually get up and go to our room, and I felt better. I wasn't the only one who felt this. Our little dog, Kristoff, definitely felt it too. He would never like to go down the hallway alone, and he especially didn't like the corner of the hallway turning to the restroom and the boiler room. He would always bark and refuse to go over there if a toy had rolled over there. It wasn't until the last month we were there that something happened. I am always first to wake up and go to work, 5 a.m., walk down the hallway, get Kristoff's food, leave it for him, and I would go to the restroom. That morning, after turning around and making my way to the restroom, the door was slightly opened, and it slammed so hard by itself. I stopped a few feet away, and I couldn't believe it. There was no draft, and I walked forward and backward, thinking maybe I stepped a certain way to make the door move. I stared and worked up the courage to not give it more thought. I walked into the restroom, and it was empty. Every morning after that, I did exactly the same way I did that morning, and it would not happen again. I would leave the restroom door slightly opened every night, but every morning it would stay open. It never happened again, but I'm glad, and I'm glad I didn't experience anything more, because even though I love listening to paranormal experiences, I'm a huge baby when it comes to seeing or feeling anything firsthand.
The next story is from Jamie in the U.S. Ghost Dog Comes to Visit. My story starts in the spring of 2007. As a quick trigger warning, my story does talk about the loss of a beloved pet, so keep that in mind moving forward. I had recently graduated college and was fully ensconced in my first real job, doing public relations for a small town in the mountains of Colorado. One day I realized that I was the only one in my family without a dog. We had grown up with dogs, and I loved dogs. I decided it was time to get a dog of my own. I started browsing the daily newspaper, Craigslist, and stalked our local animal shelter's website, until finally the cutest little face popped up on the animal shelter's website. She was a red, short-haired miniature dachshund and was smitten. I went to the animal shelter to inquire about the dog they had called Lucy and was told that they could not release her for adoption yet. She was incredibly sick. She had been found wandering the streets of our mountain town in February and had apparently gotten into poison and altercations with other animals. The shelter said I could put a deposit on her, but they would not let me take her home for a couple of more weeks until they were sure she was strong enough. They also told me that if she did not survive the two weeks, my deposit could be put toward any other animal, that they were uncertain she would survive. But two weeks later, I had her in my car and was taking her home with me. I promptly changed her name from Lucy to Coffee Bean. My parents lived in the same town as me. They had a giant muff of a dog named Mocha, so I thought it would be funny to have Mocha and Little Coffee Bean. The two dogs became best friends, and we received lots of compliments about them when we were out and about. Over time, I dropped the coffee and just called her Bean, or Beanie Weenie, or Beanie Baby, or any other number of nicknames she acquired over the years. It took a year of nursing, but eventually Bean was back to healthy, although she never weighed more than eight pounds the entire time I had her. As she got stronger, her precious personality started to shine through. She was such a funny dog. She loved tennis balls, not the miniature ones made for dogs like her, but the full-size ones that were the size of her head. She would wrap them in a blanket and drag them all over the house, using her front legs while walking with her back legs, pulling the blanket around, quite the fitness regimen as she developed the most defined abs I had ever seen. Seriously, this dog had a six-pack that would make any bodybuilder jealous. Bean was my constant companion. When I was home, she was in my lap or sitting next to me. When I was away, she would lay in my dirty clothes hamper and with all my clothes piled around her. If I could take her someplace with me, she was with me. She would go on hikes and snowshoeing with me. As she got older, she couldn't walk as well. I would let her walk as far as she could, and then put her in my backpack and carry her the rest of the hike. She was with me when I left my public relations job and took a job in mental health. She moved across the state with me to the front range of Colorado in 2014. I adopted a Chihuahua adoption mix, who I named Piper. Bean and Piper were inseparable. They shared a dog bed, sat in my lap together, ate the same food bowl at the same time. Their bond was incredible. Then the pandemic hit in 2020. The entire year, I had a heavy feeling that I couldn't shake, 
the thought that we would lose someone in our family that year. On the morning of Friday, December 11th, 2020, at about 4 a.m., I woke up to Bean letting out a cry I'd never heard from her before. I flipped on my lamp and reached for her. I discovered that she had wet herself and was shaking uncontrollably. She was looking into my eyes, and I could tell something bad had happened. I took her to the vet, and the vet said she had either damaged her spine or had a stroke. He wanted to try her on some medicine over the weekend. To make a difficult part of the story short, a few hours later, Bean died in my arms while I cradled her on my bedroom floor after a series of strokes. I was crushed. She had been my constant companion for over 13 years. Because she was a rescue, I never knew exactly how old she was. The animal shelter said she was somewhere between 2 and 4 when I adopted her, so she was probably between 15 and 17 when she died. I could not stop crying for days, and I'm not an emotional person. It takes a lot to make me cry. With time, I stopped grabbing for her leash when it was time to go outside and got used to putting less food out at mealtimes. But the pain didn't seem to fade. I need to backtrack just a little bit and talk about two traits Bean had. One, she slept in my bed. But she could not jump or on or off the bed on her own and refused to use a ramp or stairs. So if in the middle of the night she needed a drink, she would wake me up. I would set her on the ground and then pick her up after she got her drink. If I'd happened to fall asleep during that time, she would jump on the bed frame with as much strength as an eight-pound body could muster and shake the bed to wake me up. The second trait, she had a unique style when she drank. She would lap three times, pause, lap three times, pause, etc., If you know anything about music theory, it sounded like she drank in triplet rhythm. No other dog I had been around drinks like that. About two weeks after she died, Ghost Beanie, as I've come to call her, made her first appearance. I was sound asleep when my bed shook. It was just like when she would jump on it to get my attention. I reached down to pick her up, but clearly... She wasn't there. I would hear the distinctive triplet rhythm of water being lapped up, and I would feel her curled up next to me under my covers. She always slept in the small of my back, right on my hip. I would wake up and feel her there, reach down to pet her, only to hit empty space. Another quick side note. I live in a tri-level townhome with a roommate. We share the main level, She has the top floor, and I have the basement. My roommate has an incredibly heavy footstep. Even when she is trying to be quiet, it sounds like she's stomping. I give her a hard time about this all the time, because she's a small woman, but you would never know it if you heard her walking. Anyway, the thermostat from the whole house is above my bedroom in a small hallway that connects the kitchen to the living room. One morning, exactly eleven months after Bean died, I woke up at four a.m. again and heard light pacing back and forth in the hallway. My immediate thought was that my roommate had gotten up to adjust the thermostat and was trying to walk the hallway quietly. 
Later that day, I mentioned to her and thanked her for being quiet. She looked at me completely confused and said she had not come downstairs to adjust the thermostat. She then pointed out to me that Bean used to pace that hallway when she was looking for food or was just restless. We decided Ghost Beanie had made another appearance just to let me know she was okay. My roommate said she was fine with Ghost Beanie's presence, but if I were to ever move out, to please take Ghost Beanie with me. A few months ago, I was doing yoga in the downstairs living space. I had pushed up into downward facing dog and looked toward my bedroom when I saw Bean walking toward me. She loved when I did yoga and would constantly try to lick my feet or hands when I was in different poses. I called her my in-house coach. Bean had a distinct wiggle walk due to an injury to her back leg, so I knew it was her when I saw her. I fell out of downward dog and almost landed on my face. I did everything I could to recreate the movement to see if it was just a trick of the eye, but nothing I did worked. Ghost Beanie recently went on a field trip to my sister's house. My sister and her family live about ten miles from me, and I had gone over for dinner one evening. When it was time to leave, Piper refused to come with me. I was going to be back over to their house the next day, so my sister said Piper could sleep over. The next morning, Carrie, my sister, told me she had been sound asleep with one of the dogs, she has two of her own, which was asleep between her legs. She was sore and wanted to change positions, but couldn't get the dog to move. Finally, she reached down to give a gentle nudge, and there was no dog there. She thinks Ghost Beanie got jealous because Piper had a sleepover without her. The most recent encounter was just a couple of nights ago, and the catalyst to me writing all of this down. I was lying on my back in the bed when I felt Piper walk across the bed. She climbed down to my right hip bone and curled up. I reached down to scratch her booty, and as I did, I felt Piper curl to my side, not my hip bone. I touched the blanket and felt a depression, as if there had been something there. But there was no dog. I fell asleep with the weight still on my hip bone. I think Ghost Beanie was just checking in, that I was okay and letting me know she is okay too. And the stories from Ruth in Minnesota, the ghost who talked to little girls. I have many stories from my haunted hometown. It's way up north on the Iron Range of Minnesota and used to be a bad town. It was a place to go for sex workers. You could tell which houses were brothels because they have an upper porch as well as a lower one. Here's the one about the ghost that talked to little girls. I can't be 100% this house was a former cat house, but it did have a second floor porch, so the likelihood is good. There was a murder on that porch in the late 70s. I don't know much more than that. My sisters used to go babysit for a single mother who lived there. The girls they babysat in the 80s were my age, so my sisters Morin and Lana were teenagers, and the kids were about five and seven. Leah, the older, was quiet and very smart, always in a book. 
Laura, the younger, was more outgoing. I knew them both in later years. My sisters don't understand in retrospect why they kept babysitting there, because it was always terrible. They're both super maternal in different ways, and the girl's mom was going through a real barfly phase, bringing home a lot of men and not coming home until the wee hours. So I think they both felt obliged to make sure the girls had someone there who was responsible. It certainly wasn't the money. Anyway, whenever they got to the house, they'd immediately go to the basement door in the kitchen and make sure it was locked before the mom left. All the locks, door handle, deadbolt, and hook. Keep in mind, this is an internal door, and there's no other egress from the basement. The only thing these locks should be able to accomplish is keeping something inside the basement. Except that, it never did any good to lock that door. The bathroom in the house was directly past it, behind it the kitchen. Lauren said she used to do everything she possibly could to not have to use that bathroom, because every time they came back through the kitchen, the door to the basement would be open and standing ajar. They'd wait until an accident was imminent, and then they would run past the basement door without looking down into the basement. They also said the place was always freezing. That's not particularly odd. It's an old house. It's really cold on the range. It was pretty extreme, though. They'd leave their coats on and bundle up in an afghan right against the radiator and still couldn't get very comfortable. The girls never seemed to notice or mind the cold, although they wouldn't go on the porch upstairs ever. Neither would my sisters. They would run past the upstairs porch like they did the basement door. They have no stories of paranormal activity from it because they wouldn't get close enough. One night, Maureen was babysitting. The girls were long since tucked up for the night in their separate bedrooms. Maureen was downstairs, huddled by the heater, trying to get warm right under the upstairs floor vent. Then she heard Leah talking and she could hear someone respond. She couldn't make out any words, but there was a conversation flow to it, and the voices were distinctly different. Hoping that her sister had crawled into bed with her, Maureen went upstairs to check on them. Laura was fast asleep in her own room. She poked her head into Leia's pitch-black room and called her name. Yes, said Leia calmly, clearly wide awake. Marine said that she had a terrible feeling sweep over her then. In that moment, she needed it to be okay so she could keep herself together. So she said the first thing she could think of to rationalize it. I heard you downstairs. Were you reading aloud? There was a long pause. And then from the darkness. Yes, I was reading. Maureen fled back down the stairs and sat by the radiator with all her stuff until the mom came home and tried not to think about how a seven-year-old just told her that she was reading out loud in a man's voice in a pitch-dark room after midnight.
And that's it for the 17th anniversary of Anything Ghost, episode number 300. And cheers to all of you who have been around since the beginning. I know there's a lot of you out there. Thanks very much for hanging out with Anything Ghost for so many years, 17 years. So let's keep our sights on episode number 400. Until then, have yourself a wonderful week and take care.